This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey, everybody. Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat. Really excited about tonight's show. Going to have a special guest the second half of the show, Peter Burns from the SEC Network. You've seen him on ESPN, SEC Network, College Football Live. He does SiriusXM Radio. Peter, one of the rising stars in the media industry, and certainly I love his breakdowns. And uh, I'm going to ask him about Kirby Smart and the dogs. I mean, he has some really good information and, and some hot takes that I don't think you've heard before. Every time I talk with Peter, very bullish on the Bulldogs, but the schedule this year is a little bit different. It's going to be really interesting to get his take. I want to start at the top, and the top is scrimmage one, right? Now, later this week, there's going to be more Georgia practices. They're going to have a scrimmage two. We're working our way towards the season. It'll be here before you know it. We're just a couple Saturdays away, if you can believe that, two or three Saturdays away, right? But scrimmage one, Kirby aired it out. He put the pedal to the metal. And I wasn't there, but I've talked to a lot of people that were, and I was at Kirby's press conference and Kirby made it very clear that he was not satisfied. Now everybody's going, of course he wasn't satisfied. Of course, Kirby aired it out. Of course, but this, this was different. This was different. Talking to people, Kirby wanted, maybe I think this has to do with the infusion of all these young players. You know, now that you get, what, 18, 20, you know, midterm enrollees, there's more youth on that field than ever before, okay? And they need to understand what's ahead. And Kirby wanted them to perform at a certain level on Saturday, and some of them didn't. And he said that. There were some guys that pushed through, and there were some guys that didn't. And in a roundabout way, if you if you read the dognation.com coverage from the weekend, you can kind of pick through that and kind of get a clear idea who Kirby Smart was talking about. I'll start out, I'll go position by position for the for the purposes of, of this show. Uh, it's a little bit easier to break it down like that. And it starts with the quarterbacks, all right? So a lot of people have the predisposed notion that, well, it's going to be Carson Beck that starts. And I believe that. I think it's going to be Carson Beck that starts also. But I don't know that it's going to be Carson Beck that ends. And if you look at the first seven seasons of Georgia football, I want to say four of those seven seasons, let me think about this here now, because Jake Fromm went wire to wire in 18 and 19, and Stett went wire to wire last year. But in the other four seasons, you had a different starter for the last game of the season than the first game of the season. So when we say what's the norm, it's 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 kind of iffy whether or not a guy holds his job. And this is one of those years coming in where it's not a given that it's Carson. You know, Last year, it was a given that it was Stetson, okay? He was the guy. The offense was designed around him. The year before, it was all JT. I mean, Stetson only threw four passes in the spring game the year before. It was JT Daniels. It was all JT. Remember the trip out to California with the receivers and all that stuff? So they've been settled on quarterbacks the previous two years. I think 2020, it was up in the air. Remember, that was the year Jamie Newman transferred out. Well, basically, got fired. I mean, Munkin comes in. Him and Newman, obviously not on the same page. Otherwise, they don't add JT Daniels through the portal through USC. JT Daniels comes in. They think it's going to be JT. You can go back and look at Kirby's transcripts. He's saying he thinks JT is going to be ready for the opener. JT wasn't ready for the opener. So it was Dwan Mathis. It was Dwan was next man up. Dwan had earned it. Remember, Dwan came back uh, from the brain surgery. I mean, what a story that was. Kirby saving his life or the Georgia program saving his life, his dad said. And in the way Kirby Smart responded to that family in Detroit, it was it was one of the one of to me one of the best stories that I've seen play out at the college level was, was the, the Georgia Dwan Mathis story. 
albeit Dwan's time on the field was short-lived. Second quarter, you're down to Arkansas with Stetson Bennett time. Stetson came in. Georgia was still down at halftime to Arkansas. Uh, but Stetson came in, lit it up in the second half, and, and it became the Stetson Bennett show until it wasn't. And, well, we don't need to rehash all that. Point is, this year is similar to that year in terms of there's not one guy. There's three guys. There's three guys. And right now, it's it's Beck and Vandergriff kind of sharing the – the ones, but Gunnar Stockton's making a move, man. Gunnar Stockton had a good scrimmage. Now, granted, uh, Gunnar was working with the twos and it's a little bit and working against twos also. And it's a little bit hard to evaluate a guy working with twos. It's just, it's not the same level, right? It's it, it maybe it's a different speed, not, not a full different speed, but maybe a half tick different speed. So will Gunnar get some reps with the ones this week? Okay. That's one of the questions that comes out of this. Because Beck and, and Vandergriff had some opportunities they didn't take advantage of. They both overthrew guys that were open deep. Um, they were both a victim of some drop passes. But but Beck had a moment. Somebody's telling me, like, he just dropped the ball in the pocket. Like, what do you mean he just dropped the ball in the pocket? Like, those moments right there, those are the kind of moments that, you know, give you know coaches ulcers, right? And it's always been about Carson Beck winning Kirby Smart's trust. That's what this has always been. And it's not like on a personal level. But on a game level, like, does Kirby trust Carson Beck to do to make the right decisions and to handle things correctly on the field? And this goes all the way back to the 2021 season. It was supposed to be Carson Beck's turn to start when JT was injured, but he had a bad week of practice and Stetson was ready and Carson wasn't. And the rest is history. Stetson threw five touchdowns against UAB. And when JT was, you know, down, went down again against Vanderbilt, that was it. It was, it was Stetson time and Stetson took over the team. And Carson's been waiting and, and he's, you know, he did a lot of videos in the offseason, did some interviews. We've written stories about what Carson said, how he almost transferred last year and why he didn't um, and how he's grown up and he's ready. You look at him, he's more physically mature. He's thicker. I mean, Carson Beck is an NFL quarterback talent. There's no doubt about that. So you might say, well, the, how could he not be the starter then? If he's the most experienced guy, and he's got all this NFL. Well, I think he will be number one. I do think he's going to start that opener. But you're seeing the reps continue to get split up. And that's what's a little different. And last year, it was all stats. That was 85, 90% of the snaps were the ones. There wasn't any talk about seeing somebody else. This is seeing somebody else. This is seeing what Brock Vandegrift can do and Gunnar Stockton can do. Uh, so Beck just needs to make good decisions and needs to avoid the absent-minded uh, moments and, and just his personal disposition, right? Like they're looking for a certain disposition. And, and Carson needs to check all those boxes and because the talent is unbelievable and the work ethic is unbelievable. And this is a guy that's waited his time and stuck with it. So there's, he's got all these tremendous attributes that, that, that's going to put him in the NFL. Now, Vandergriff is a guy who brings more mobility to the table, right? Kirby likes the RPO. He likes the dimension of the running quarterback. Not to the extent that, you know, the guy could just stink. No, I mean, Vandergriff has got to be more accurate with his throws. Um, you know, he can't continue to come out, you know, um, you know, with his hair on fire and a little too gassed up, maybe. Uh, but this is a, a talented guy who I think has the, the sort of disposition they want. But can he make all the throws? Does he have the arm talent to go toe to toe with back? Um, does he continue to make good decisions? Uh, let's talk about the mobility, the leadership traits. So Vandergriff's in the game. Now, here comes Stockton. Maybe, maybe earlier than any of us thought, right? Because, you know, the thought was, well, you know, Gunner was, you know, scout team last year, and he's just now learning the offense. And, you know, what can he really handle? How does he manage the team? You saw in the G-Day game, there was a delay game penalty inside the team. Can't have that. 
Georgia quarterbacks don't do that. Georgia quarterbacks don't have delay a game. Pass. They just don't. They handle it. All right. They know how to manage the team. And Stockton's coming fast. So this is intriguing. Um, you can say, oh, yeah, Beck's going to start. Okay, yes, Beck is going to start. But this is one of those stay tuned deals. Now, as long as Carson Beck's winning, I think he's the guy, right? As long as he's not putting the team in adverse situation, I think he's the guy. But just know there are very capable guys. This is close. Like last year, it was, it was always going to be Stetson. It wasn't close. I mean, Carson looked great in some of those games. Couldn't have looked any better. And he, it wasn't like he got put in early the next week because he earned it, okay, or deserved it, so to speak. It was all Stetson most all the time. This year, I think, is going to be different. And I think the schedule, not just because you have three talented quarterbacks that don't have a ton of experience, but because of the schedule. I mean, Kirby is the master of playing the hand that's dealt to him. He doesn't complain about it. He doesn't complain about it. Right. When we ask him about rules, changes or transfers, he doesn't just sit there and mope and groan and complain and put on Twitter like Lane Kiff. Kirby says, look, this is the world I live in. It does me no good to try to change these rules. I'm going to spend my time and efforts in learning how to take advantage of these rules to keep George on top. Right. So the schedule. Kirby couldn't control the Oklahoma game not happening, not coming off. That's not his fault. They wanted to play Oklahoma. You heard Brock Bauer say that was a game he was really looking forward to. The team is disappointed. The team wanted to play at Oklahoma. They wanted that road trip. They come, You come to Georgia to play marquee opponents. So it's not like the Georgia guys are going, oh, boy, we're so glad it's going to be. No, they wanted to play Oklahoma. You have to understand that. So, But that's not the hand you've been dealt. You've got Ball State at home instead now. So you open with UT Martin at home, and then you play Ball State at home. And then you get an SEC game at home with South Carolina, albeit a, a very reloading a, a South Carolina team. They're not going to be ready for Georgia. They are not going to be ready for Georgia. Ugly football game coming up. Then you got UAB at home and Trent Dilfer and whatever sideshow that is. Remember, Kirby was friends with Bill Clark. Be interesting to see how Kirby engages Trent Dilfer. Um, two different mindsets there completely. Uh, and Dilfer, a Super Bowl champ, right? Uh, but but Kirby Kirby's gonna Kirby right Kirby ain't gonna ask for his autograph at half at midfield I can tell you that um, and then and then and then the fifth week of the season then finally we're gonna get a, a good test we're gonna see Georgia at Auburn and we're gonna find out more first of all who's the quarterback gonna be we're gonna see who some of the playmakers are we're gonna know we're we're gonna think we know strengths and weaknesses but can any of those first four teams really test you enough? to identify who and what Georgia is. I don't know that they can. I think Auburn can. And, and I know they lost a lot. And it's not that I think, you know, Hugh Freeze, one, you know, the only coach in the SEC that's beat Saban multiple. Not because of that. I think he's a good coach. But I think Auburn's tough. I know that sounds crazy. But I was I went to the Auburn-LSU game last year. You might remember last year, Dog Nation, we would go see the opponents like the week before Georgia played them sometimes. I went to the South Carolina at Arkansas game. Went to the LSU at all. Auburn's up on LSU 17 to zero halfway through the second quarter in Jordan Hare. How much of that's Jordan Hare? How much of that's Auburn? How much of that's LSU? I don't know, but I'm telling you, it's 17 to zero midway through the second quarter. Auburn is shutting up. Auburn's got Auburn's going to have some hungry guys, and that's going to be a good test. So, quarterback situation is not, you know, I wouldn't say that this is, oh my gosh, this is going to stop the team. I don't think it's going to stop the team from winning the title. I think you got good enough quarterbacks to win a championship. I think one of these guys could have won a championship last year. I think quarterback checks the box. It's just right now you're sorting through it. There is, you're not settled. So it's not as dialed in. Now, if you played Oklahoma in the opener or Clemson or Oregon, 
Kirby would be managing this differently. Now he could tell you that he wouldn't, but he absolutely would. So I will just say that. And maybe, and maybe, maybe he wouldn't tell you that. Maybe he would just tell you, hey, we got to be ready for the opener. But um, on to the running backs now. The running backs, this this is an area of concern to me. Even though I have confidence, I like this Roderick Robinson kid. I like this freshman. I think he's the real deal. I really like this guy. Uh, had a good scrimmage. I heard he broke off a long run. Not surprising. They weren't going to overuse De- Dejon Edwards. This is your most experienced, most versatile guy. This is the guy you absolutely positively have to have healthy because Kendall Milton's had a hamstring. And we, we've said that a lot. And, and I've seen some people picking on Kendall a little bit. Um, saying, oh, you know, this guy's always, you know, most of these guys are usually banged up with different ailments. But when you're a running back, it's not like you can play through a hamstring. If you could, he would. All right. Kendall's a tough guy. And I know how much the family invested in trying to make sure that he was absolutely positively ready for the season. So this is really disappointing news. Uh, Don't know when he'll be back. But then I stepped back and I said, oh, now, wait a minute. How much was Georgia really going to use Kendall Milton the first month of the season? Let's be honest. Were you going to carry? Were you, were you going to give him ten or twelve carries against UT Martin or Ball State? I hope not. Uh, maybe South Carolina a little bit more. UAB no. You you weren't going to use Kendall Milton a lot in September anyway, in my opinion. Or you shouldn't. Not like last year, go back and look at Kenny McIntosh's carries. He didn't hardly carry the ball at all in September. Now when they needed him. Stretch drive, November, Kenny Mack was there, right, and into the postseason. And that's when Milton kind of emerged, and we started to see Kendall starting to assert himself. So this this could be a blessing in disguise. Now, I, I know that's probably not what anybody wants to hear, but if you get fresh-legged Kendall Milton in October for what turns into a 11-game season instead of a 15-game season, I don't have a problem with that, especially if you haven't lost a game. And you've got other guys that can do this. Right. Dejon Edwards can carry the load. Dejon can handle a 20 carry game if he needed to. I don't think you'll see that, but Dejon can go 12 or 15 carries. Nope, no problem. And this Roderick Robinson guy, this guy didn't come here to sit the bench. He didn't come across the country from California. And Branson Robinson's going to be back pretty soon, too, from a foot injury. I don't know how ready he'll be, but they're going to want him to play his way into shape and get some work. I say Andrew Paul, you know, getting the confidence back with the knee. And you've heard him talk about Cash Jones. So there's a lot of backs back there. The only thing that that makes me a little uncomfortable for Georgia is I, I look at, and I could be wrong about this, but when Kendall Milton is on top of his game, I think he's another level. I think he's a special talent. And, and, and I think that I think to win a national championship, I think you need a special, I think you're going to need some, some championship level play out of the backfield too early for me to say if Roderick Robinson can do that. When Del McGee spoke to the media, kind of hinted that the kids still learning some other things, protections and things like that. Um, you know, how much of the past game he's involved in. He's only a freshman, true freshman. Uh, Branson Robinson, we don't know where he's at injury-wise. I hesitate to say too much. Andrew Paul was catching the ball well, but a guy that didn't play last year. So he needs reps. I think you need a healthy Kendall Milton. So that, that's why that's a concern. Is you, you and, and you don't want to rush him back. That's the other thing. You don't want to get him back just to say he's back. If it's going to take another four or six weeks, it's what it's going to take. And I don't know that it is. I'm just saying. Wide receiver. Uh, did a show on Sirius XM radio today and they're saying, man, is this the best Georgia wide receiver room that you've seen, uh, you know, the last six or seven years? I, I, I don't, I'm not ready to say that. I'm not ready to say that. And I'll tell you why. I think Ladd McConkey is fantastic. I think he's an NFL draft pick. I think he's a day two pick. Um, I think he's going to run a low four, four. I think he catches everything. I think he's like Christian McCaffrey in the open field. 
when Lad's got the ball in his hands, he's a home run threat every time. He's special. So you've got a special guy there. Uh, love it out of the slot. Tough. Uh, quickness. Uh, maybe reminds me of, um, you know, Kyrus Jackson a little bit that you're in, in 20, 2020 when Kyrus was hooked up with Stetson a lot. Um, you know, of course, Kyrus was slowed a little bit by knee. I think he's a little quicker, faster version of Kyrus. Every bit is tough. Not sure he's quite the blocker as physical Kyrus was. He, he, he certainly has the intent, though. Um, so I, I like him a lot. I think he brings a lot. And I don't like to sound like I'm picking on somebody here, but this is just, we're just talking football and it's not personal, but you know, is Marcus Rose and me, Jack saying as good as a Donnie Mitchell. I haven't seen that yet. Now he does some things as well. Like for example, he's, he's the best blocking receiver that I've seen in a while, but is he going to go up and take the ball away from somebody? Is he going to run past somebody? Is he going to make the kind of plays that Donnie did in championship moments? I don't know that I'm ready to say that. He's not George Pickens, right? Everything to me is Pickens. I'm on the Pickens plan. I know it took a while for George to learn the playbook here, but Pickens was just so ridiculously talented that that's and it's probably an unfair level. It's like it's like I covered Barry Sanders in college, right? When I was a college student at Michigan State, I covered the Lions, and Barry Sanders was the guy that was. So now, like everybody to me is like, are they? You know, Barry Sanders is the bar, right? And that's probably that's probably not fair, but. It, it, no more fair than comparing Marcus, but Marcus Rosemi Jackson is a solid X, but he's not a dynamic X. You hear about Ra Ra Thomas, guys. Ra Ra Thomas was in the doghouse this spring. He, I don't know, did he even play in the G Day game? How far has he come? Is can he be counted on? I, I hope so. I mean, they went out and got him out of the portal because they believed in him. Um, obviously, he had an off field incident when he first got here, and uh, that's behind him now. Um, but I don't know where Ra Ra's at. I haven't seen him play enough to say. You know, the thing I'm asking is I heard all about these freshmen, all oh, freshmen, this freshman, that. Where are these guys at? Haven't heard anything. Haven't heard a peep. Oh, BMAC, he's going to develop these guys so fast. He's going to, re- okay, well, where's it at? Let's see it. I, I don't see it yet. So where are the freshmen? Uh, you can't do receivers without mentioning Brock Bowers and the tight ends. I've heard Delp had a really good scrimmage. This is big news. Lawson Lucky had a big spring. If you've got three guys like that, that gives Bobo something to work with, right? That's an intangible. You don't have Darnell anymore. Munkin had, Munkin had all the toys in the toy box. I mean, he did a great job. He was good with matchups and motions, but you got to, you just got to know Munkin had so much to work with. It was ridiculous. Uh, Bobo's got a lot to work with, but not as much. Okay. He doesn't have a Kenny McIntosh. He doesn't have a Darnell Washington. Those guys were special. They were incredibly difficult matchups. So yeah, I think Bowers is going to be solid. I think the other tight ends are good. Offensive line, Kirby said they didn't dominate. Like, I think, I don't know if dominate was the word that he used, but he said that the offensive line was not as effective in the scrimmage as it was during the week. He expected more, in short. Now, maybe some of that's the D-line rising up, but I think he's looking at this offensive line as kind of being a big winning edge. I am too. Like, I think the power run game is going to be back. I think the play action game is going to be really good. You know, and this is why part of the quarterback thing for me, like if you've got a mobile quarterback with what you've got in the power game in the offensive line, I almost wonder if that sets up better for a runner, an RPO, than a drop back. And Kirby doesn't want to get into that discussion. He likes to say they're all three the same. But the reality of it is this Carson isn't the same runner as Brock or Gunner. Any more than Brock or Gunner are the same pocket guy that Carson is. But what does the personnel tell you, right? How does this team evolve? It's 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 still a blank canvas. We don't know. I mean, once the season starts, players will evolve. Players will get better. But we're talking about the starting point. 
And uh, the offensive line is the one thing absolutely counting on. Defensive line. I asked Kirby again about the interior defensive line because I've been telling everybody, look, 88, 88 was unbelievable. People are probably tired of hearing me talk about Jalen Carter. NFLs just get started. I mean, this guy's in the Aaron Donald and Dominican Sioux class. He is such a monster in the middle. And while Nazir is good and Zelo, Zion Logan, good, and Warren Brinson, they're not that. Okay, they're solid. Like Kirby said, they strike people, they hit people. But Jalen was a train wrecker, was a havoc maker, according to the head coach. That's the words he uses. And you don't have that. So Kirby said they're going to have to do some different things to create pressures and and some different personnel packages. And I think he's going to be counting on some of those freshmen outside linebackers to be on the field. Now, you know, you got Michael Williams, preseason All-American at end. Oh, by the way, just another first-round pick. Um, but your interior defensive line is not going to be what it was last year. And you've got so much talent in that outside linebacker room, but not one of them is Nolan Smith yet. And Nolan brought intangibles in addition to his great pass rush where, you know, someone said to me, well, you know, you didn't have a lot of sacks. Well, that's not because he couldn't pass rush. It's because the other team knew how good he was and they schemed away from it. Like he never had the opportunity for sex. They knew what side he was on. They had a plan for him, roll away, throw it quick. It wasn't that Nolan Smith wasn't rushing the passer, folks. So you don't have that. Chambliss returns. He's the most experienced guy, but you need one of those freshman outside linebackers to step up, right? You need to have somebody get healthy. Um, inside, I think you're good. You know, I, I think uh, I think you're going to see a sorry. I think he's the next freak name that's going to pop up on the radar. You know, you've got Jamon Dumas Johnson in the middle. I think he's outstanding. I think he's the heartbeat of the team. It's so good. It was so good to see him step up and take accountability at the fall, beginning of fall practice. Uh, that was needed. That was a leadership moment for Jamon Dumas Johnson. It's not something we're going to harp on every week or bring up every week, but you can't ignore the off season and the off season had to be handled and processed the right way, just like everything else at Georgia, right? There's a right and a wrong. And Kirby always wants that them to take that high road. But uh, with, with smile Munden injured, I think this is where you see Sori step up and we've been hearing so much about him. Jeff Santel was talking about, you know, just his exploits in high school and just how athletic he is. I'm eager to see it. And apparently he's, he's doing the right thing. Schumann's coached him up. Obviously, Glenn, um, you know, nice bump in salary up to like 1.9 million or something like that. Who gets a 1 million? You who, Not just who makes a million. How'd you like to get a raise of a million dollars? Glenn, we're going to pay you another million. Wait a minute. You're going to raise my salary from 800,000 to a million? That's great. No, we're going to give you another million. It's 1.9 million to be precise. Uh, so Schumann, uh, that should keep him around here for another couple of years. He's got a family. He's got kids. Uh, happy for Glenn uh, to get that sort of salary to me. That's Georgia saying, don't go be a head coach somewhere. We're going to pay you plenty of money. And that's what that means. So I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, secondary, you've got the best safeties in the country. You really do. I mean, Javon Bullard and Malachi Starks, it just it just doesn't get any better than that. I mean, both incredible athletes. Bullard just, man, he brings the pain. And Malachi is like a center fielder out there. And the corners, I mean, you know, Kirby has talked about, Lassiter being a little banged up, you know, he says he needs to get back out there, knock off some roughs. But again, silver lining, other guys get more reps, Nyland Green, Dalen Everett, those are the next man up kind of thing. Um, and then at Star, you got Tyke Smith and, and uh, Joe Aguero. And man, that's a one two punch. So uh, I'm going to be really interested. Who's going to return, right? McHugh Muse. Did I say that right? McHugh, McKay Muse. Uh, this guy's a playmaker. Uh, he heard he had a great scrimmage. Tremendous in the open field, 
you know, kind of a water bug kind of guy. Um, I'd like to see him get more of the return work. I know that Kirby has a comfort level with Lad McConkey, you know, but McConkey is a guy, if you're not careful, that you can overuse because he's always on the field and he's he's a always say yes guy. But to me, you don't need Lad McConkey running back kicks or punts, you know, maybe, maybe eight or nine a year tops in the in the big games, but you don't need to see Lad McConkey back there for UT Martin or uh, ball state. And I know Kirby likes to put frontline players on there. I get that. I understand that he's committed and, and he is the master of roster management. So I'm not telling him how to do his job. I'm just speaking from my own, you know, armchair quarterbacking here. I I hate every time I, I hold my breath every time I see McConkey return a kick because he's too valuable. He's become that valuable now. I mean, there's not a replacement for Lad McConkey if he goes down. And I, I just, I'd hate to see it because I don't think they have, that much depth at receiver that you just plug another guy in, right? You know, that Alabama team in 2020, um, you know, when they had the guy get hurt returning kicks, and I just said, man, this is the dumbest thing in the world. They had enough other receivers to pull it off. I don't know that Georgia really does, not frontline guys. You might say Arian Smith, but, you know, Arian had another big drop. Ball went through his hands, got intercepted. Like, Arian, Arian is still – and BMAC is coaching him up. He's coaching him so hard, and he's going to be good. He's going to be good. Track speed, 4-2 guy. I mean, it was so good to hear him talk at the start of fall drills, just knowing what he'd been through. I was so glad Kirby went out there and we were able to give Arian that attention and and tell his story. This is a guy that's battled back from so many different injuries. Uh, yeah, obviously, he loves football, but I just don't know that he's going to be ever be that go-to guy. Not at George. I think maybe later in his career he grows into that. Um, special teams, Thorson's punting, the kicks. I'll, I'll be honest, I, I need to do some more work on the kicks uh, there's still some time left in that place kicker battle. Overall, I, I don't think this Georgia team is quite as far along as last year's was, and and certainly not as 2021's. And that doesn't mean they're not going to win. That doesn't mean I'm saying they're not going to be. It just means it's going to be more of a work in progress. And, and some of that is, of course, you're changing quarterbacks. I don't think the coordinator change is nearly as big as some people do. I actually look at that as a positive because Bobo was in the system last year. He knows the terminology. He knows the playbook. He knows the personnel. And he's got that lifetime trust with Kirby. Those are two guys look each other in the eye. Nobody's BSing anybody, okay? Nobody's hiding any motives from the other guy. Kirby, uh, Muschamp, Bobo, these guys go way back. They used to be known as the three musketeers, right? That's what, what golf used to call them. Coach's sons, they all know one another. They're all tight. Um, great friends. And that's a certain that brings a certain chemistry to the staff as well. But um, but the Bobo thing is just way to me. That's one of the most overplayed stories because it's really not about him. It's about what can Georgia do with the personnel? Yeah. I mean, if Munkin was here, it was going to look different. What can Georgia do with the personnel? That's the question. And, and, and how does Bobo see it? Like, what is the 11 best? Is it going to be two tight end or is it going to be one tight end and three receiver? You know, again, Bobo talked about how that's a competition, right? Does Delp is essentially does Delp slash lucky, beat out love it in the slot having love it in the slot you know i don't really answer that question right you you can't can't have it all you can't have three receivers and two tight ends i suppose you could if you went empty but i don't i don't think we're going to see that i mean I, i'm not sure what we're going to see um my inkling is that we're going to see more power football we're going to see more play action and depending on the quarterback and the opponent um, it, it's going to determine the ratio, right? And that's just how Georgia is on offense. That's how Kirby wants it. It's not that we're going to show up and do this. You know, it's not like Tennessee. We're going to show up and throw the ball 50 times and go fast. It's not that. 
It's going to be, let's look at who the opponent is. Let's see where our matchup advantages are. Let's just devise a game plan. And then it's, let's play the game circumstance. You up by three touchdowns, probably going to start running. Probably start running the clock. Why, why prolong the game? Right. Down by three touchdowns, you probably start throwing the ball, stop the clock. Right. So, so much of it is circumstance. Uh, you know, Kirby just plays, you know, no pun intended, just plays smart football. So uh, that's kind of my presentation. I did a stock report. You can look on dognation.com. I had some players up, some players down, some of the names mentioned, a few you may not have heard. Maybe some, some maybe a defensive lineman in there that Kirby openly challenged. Um, before we go to our halftime break, though, I got to tell you, I watched the um, some of the dogs in the NFL this weekend, and, and it's getting a lot easier to find them, right? Pretty much any game, any channel, you're going to find a Georgia Bulldog on TV playing in the NFL. But I was drawn to Stetson because I followed his story so closely here, and I've written so much, and I really like writing about Stetson because he's a colorful guy, and his story is just so interesting. And it remains, to me, one of the more interesting stories out there. So he goes out there and he nearly throws a pick six. So if I stadium, right, same, you can't make up the storyline, same stadium. He just won six, five, seven. He's back in for a preseason game against San Diego, or excuse me, Los Angeles Chargers. Darnier throws a pick six, gets dropped. But then he, he puts together a 16 play touchdown drive. He shakes it off and puts together. And, and that's what McVeigh said he likes about him is that the guy can shake things off it just because he has one bad moment. Doesn't mean anything. He's shaking. He had a couple other bad. He got sacked three times, but he also made some plays. He also extended some plays. He made some really nice throws. He showed you why the Rams drafted him. He showed that upside, right? Now, no, he's not a finished product. He's not Bryce Young. Okay. He's getting better, though. He is getting better. Stetson has improved. I could see it. And then the post-game interview. And if you haven't seen it, you need to find it. Like I said, it's on our dognation.com page. You know, Stetson handles, I think my my headline was Stetson handles press conference in stride. I love the rapport that he had with the media out there because, you know, these young guys are a work in progress on the field. They're a work in progress in the classroom. They're a work in progress in their media dealings. And obviously I'm in that field, so I can, you know, break it down a little bit more. But to see how far he's come, you know, Stetson is one of these guys that's super intelligent, right? And so sometimes he can come off as a little bit awkward in conversation, but he has found his voice and who he is. And and he's very comfortable with himself. And, and maybe it comes across a little brash, but you need to be a little confident when you're a quarterback. And I just loved the swagger and the interview, uh, very self-deprecating, you know, said he had some bonehead moments said uh, didn't turn it over but I tried to I like that's who he is and it was so good to see him in front of a room that comfortable with himself and on the big stage in LA now I don't know what was in that room but I'm going to guess that there was half as many people as what is usually sworn by at Georgia Georgia has prepared Stetson Bennett for the NFL there's no doubt about that and it's going to be interesting to follow his story so I encourage you to check that out can't remember who they play this next week but I'll uh, I'll be keeping an eye on that and then and then of course the Eagles right all the guys on the Eagles team you saw Jalen Carter like first or second snap he's met poor big Ben big Ben Cleveland probably remembers Jalen from his freshman year but not this version of Jalen and Jalen did this quick club move and just blew by him and he's, he's hitting the quarterback on the, and you're going folks get used to it I'm telling you get used to it if you're not an Eagles fan, you might want to be one if you like the bandwagon because they're going to be really good. Uh, no one had a hit. 
Uh, and then Swift, man. I man, when Swift is on, he is so good. He is so good. Um, he's Dell McGee, the best back Dell's had is Swift. I mean, I don't think I think even the Macintoshes will tell you that. And, and Kenny came a long way. Uh, and Kenny's a really nice cutback run. Kenny's probably a little more durable, but Swift looked great on this 22-yard run. It just brought back memories when he was healthy at Georgia. I hated the way DeAndre finished at Georgia in 2019. was all on his shoulders. He got hurt at the end of the year. 2018 was so much fun. Still think that 2018 team could have won a national title if uh, DeAndre Walker hadn't gotten hurt in that game against Alabama in the SEC title game. Still go back to that and go, if Georgia had the depth, they would have got by that one. They really would have. But they didn't have championship depth yet. Brenton Cox wasn't quite ready. So uh, that's going to do it for the first half. I want us to take a moment now to recognize our sponsor, Ingles. They sponsor the show every Monday night. I enjoy doing the show. I appreciate Ingles. I appreciate y'all watching, listening. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Griffith 32 But right now, let's pay attention to our sponsor, Ingles, and their message. And when we come back, the great Peter Burns joins us on the beat. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Well, welcome back to the show. And as promised, Peter Burns joins us. Of course, you know Peter Burns from the SEC Network. And uh, SEC now starts here in a couple of weeks. SEC this morning, you hear him on SiriusXM Radio. Of course, College Football Live. Pete, I got to ask you, of all the things you do, is is there, is there a favorite? How do you change hats and go from co-hosting and having fun to, to delivering the lowdown in the news? Yeah, I say that as I'm here in this closet that I'm getting ready to do um, College Football Live and ESPN Radio uh, here in a couple of minutes before this show. Um, I don't know. Maybe, Mike, I'm so ADD, as you know, from all my shows that, like, I've got to have, like, 19 different things going on. So uh, I'd get kind of bored if I just had one thing. So um, it's fun. You know, anytime that I can look for an excuse to to get Chris Doring uh, dressed up like a baseball player or a clown or something like that, it's it, uh, it, it, it warms my heart. And I'm sure a lot of... Uh, uh, Georgia Bulldog fans don't mind it when during the Florida Gator has to dress up like that. So, yeah, I, I was going to ask you the genesis and, and, and Chris is just such a good sport. And of course, I, I think like LSU and this bet you have with LSU and Florida and whenever Florida loses, Chris has to dress like the clown or dress like Mr. Peanut or dress like an LSU baseball player and get on an airplane, an airplane, which was, I just laughed out loud. Like, how did this all even start? How does something like that begin? You know, I mean, we had a um, before we were televised on Siri, uh, on our Sirius XM show was televised on SEC Network. We had a bet the first year and, and actually LSU lost to Florida and I had to rap a song. I had to create a rap and and I did it. And thank God it was only audio. So it like I can like delete the file. Right. But then after that, we said, all right, every single year, let's just throw something on there. Like, it's no fun if we just do like a steak dinner or, you know, a hundred bucks or something like that. Like, let's have there be a little pain. And sure enough, we started it that way. And we weren't even going to do the bet this year for the baseball national championship in, in Omaha for the College World Series. And I got a text from Commissioner Sankey going, all right, I mean, what what, what is it going to be this time? <laughs> well, I told Chris, I was like, well, we got to have it. And we came up with the idea that, hey, not only do you have to dress up, but you have to travel to media days like that. So, uh I listen, I don't feel too bad for, for Doring. I mean, he loves the attention. So one of these days, I'm surely going to have to be the guy that that dresses up. But uh, I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon, Mike. 
Yeah, it doesn't. It certainly doesn't seem like. Certainly not in football this year. Uh, let, let's let's turn to football. Last year, you were one of the people out there at the time, believe it or not, on a limb, picking Georgia to win national title. And this year, the dogs are number one preseason. But Pete, there's this there's this conception that well, Georgia doesn't play anybody. Like where where does that in your mind go as someone that's balanced and and evaluates the conference on a daily basis. How, how much stock do you put in that Georgia schedule? Is that is that really going to catch up to Georgia? Well, first of all, it was two years in a row that I called that Georgia was going to title, right? So I said it in 21 and 22. So I was out on, on the fence for both of those. But, um, I mean, it's true. They don't play anybody this year. I mean, if you look at their schedule, I mean, pretty much every single person um, right now in college football would say, if I'm a contender, I want Georgia's schedule. Now, that, now that's not their fault. I mean, they had Oklahoma schedule for a long time ago, but because them moving to the SEC, it moved around. But again, Georgia's not going to be um, looked at. They, they've they've reached a, such a high echelon. They're not looked at on your regular season success. They've become this part where it's like Alabama football and they've surpassed Alabama football. It's pass or fail, right? Did you win a title? Did you not lose a title? Those are the only two grades that you have for Georgia football right now. So, um, yeah, the regular season is going to be easy for them. But postseason-wise, I think it's going to be tough. I mean, I think this is as wide open as we've had a college football season in a while because even Georgia coming back, back-to-back natties, there is some concern, as you guys have pointed out a lot, about the quarterback situation. And I think just overall, like, What's USC bring to the table with Caleb Williams, right? Like what's going to happen with Ohio State's quarterback situation? Michigan brings back McCarthy and they're pretty good. Um, can LSU, you know, build upon last year's success? Uh, you know, has Bama figured their thing out? So I probably have more question marks going into this season than than anything in a, in a long, long time. Let me reach a little bit further. You mentioned all the usual suspects there. Texas A&M, Tennessee. Do you give them any shot? Um, yeah, I mean, listen, as John, uh, as long as you got Josh Heupel running your offense, you're going to have an opportunity. The, my issue is, is that when it's that late into the season, that's where the Kirby doing so well in his recruiting pays off because listen, Tennessee's still dealing with depth issues, right? I mean, from the whole Jeremy Pruitt debacle to not knowing who their coach was going to be. I mean, it was a mess. You don't just rebuild that overnight, even with the transfer portal. So I looked at it as saying, all right, Tennessee could catch a flyer, you know, in late November. But if you need to ask me what team I believe just has the depth, um, and it's Georgia. I mean, I think that's and – and we realized last year, I was watching that game. It's funny you said that because I was watching Tennessee-Georgia here on the network as we were re-airing it here at our studios. And I'm like, Georgia just went blow for blow with them and just go, all right, we're not playing patty cake football. We're going we're gonna to absolutely beat your ass to a pulp. And that's ultimately what they did. And I don't think Tennessee was quite ready for it, and they were reeling early. So has that changed? I don't necessarily know that it's changed. Now, long-winded way of saying, I think Tennessee is more of a challenger to Georgia than I would say A&M is a challenger to the SEC West. I do like A&M this year. I just like them as about more of a nine and three team, whereas Tennessee, I think, you know, there's a little bit of a higher ceiling if Joe Milton plays well. No doubt. You mentioned Josh Heupel and what he's done. It's about Kirby Smart. This kind of like Kirby kind of got stuck in this no man's land, right? Where for a while it was, oh, well, you know, Kirby, you know, all he does is recruit. Then he wins a national title and then he wins the next one. Everybody goes, oh, yeah, well, you were supposed to do that. Well, there was there's supposed to be like some period in between here where the guy gets recognized as a great coach and wins national awards for coach of the year. Right. Peter, I haven't seen that. What is stopping Kirby Smart? 
and and I know you speak well of them. I mean, those in the know. Yeah. I mean, you and the you and the fine bombs. And, but there's a, a some national media that that don't just give Kirby that love. Number one, and, and number two, I'm going to ask you to follow up because you do multitask and think quickly. I want your SEC Mount Rushmore four coaches after you wow. give me your spiel on where Kirby Smart ranks and perception of Kirby. I think he's still in the shadow of Nick Saban. As long as Nick Saban is coaching in the SEC, everything is going to be, you know, looked at and compared to the greatest coach in the history of college football, better than Bear Bryant, better than uh, anybody, right? But it, he is the GOAT. Now, I think that's Kirby always battling that. But I think Kirby needs that. And I think Kirby wants that, right? Like, I think you always want to go against your mentor and you always want to beat him while he's out there. So I think that it would be weird that if Saban stepped away from the game yesterday and it was Kirby, I, I think Kirby likes to have that person that he each and every day, he's like, let me, let me go. I don't think he'd ever admit it, but I, I think that's part of the motivation and the factor of like, as Bama can do it, I'm going to show you what, what we could really do. And the he chip on the that, shoulder, the chip on yeah, the shoulder. The last two years, I mean, real or fake, it doesn't matter. Like Jordan had a lot of fake chip on the shoulder and it led to one of the greatest careers in, in the history of sports. So um, for Kirby, I don't think it matters the adulation or something like that. He gets paid well. I mean, nobody has it better than Kirby Smart right now. Mike, think about this, right? Back-to-back natties have a chance to do something that no one's done in you know half a, a half a century, and you're doing it with your best friends. Bobo's on this team, right? You've got Will Muschamp here. You're the king of of everything at your alma mater, you know. So to me, life is good for Kirby Smart. Um, on Mount Rushmore, I don't know how. I mean, unless this thing falls apart to seven and five, I don't know how you don't have Kirby already on there just because he's done back-to-back national titles. Nick Saban's clearly going to be on that list. Bear Bryant's going to be on that list. And so just thinking off the off the top of my head, I'm not sure how you don't go Steve Spurrier um, as being that number four. Now, there's probably going to be some great coaches that I, that I missed, uh, you know, Vince Dooley being one of those guys. Um, you know, you can go back and look at just what he what he meant, G- General Nealon, but way back in the day and what he meant, not only to Tennessee football, but just college football in general and his service in the war and all of that, being a veteran. And and his story is incredible, which we need to be a, a 30 for 30 or, or movie one of these days. But um, I'd probably put that list. And I know that's a little recency bias, but I mean, Kirby's doing things that's absolutely unheralded before. And if he wins three in a row. I mean, he's surpassed Nick Saban in, in, in my mind is doing something right now that no other coach has done in the modern game. Yeah, we're in lockstep on that. Pete, I know you got to run here. One more question for you before we go. It's it's the last year of how things are, right? And, and then everything just hits the fan next year, the, the 12-team playoff, the conference realignment. Give me some of your takeaways. And I speak in generalities because I really do appreciate your commentary and your breakdowns, uh, really some ingenious stuff there. Your takeaways of the conference realignments uh, up close and personal Texas, Oklahoma, and then this playoff. I mean, are we are we done with it yet? Do you have any more thoughts about where this ends up ultimately? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's probably headed towards more of what we see in the NFL, which is you got one conference, which is the AFC and one conference with the NFC. It seems to be a little bit kind of looking that way that it's headed towards, you know, the SEC versus the Big Ten. You know, it's very similar to it because the money is similar to it to that point. Like conference realignment is not anything new, Mike. You go back and look at it like 
We've had conference realignment for 100 years. As long as college football has been around, there's been realignment. The difference is there's money attached to it. And while everybody made okay money, it's only since television and cable television have come together and television deals to where it's financially extremely beneficial to be in one of these big conferences. Um, and now that you're kind of, I mean, you're basically seeing the kind of Amazonization of college football where the mom and pop stores are, are going away because it's going to be the big brands that went out. That sucks because we grew up in a time where it's like, Hey, you don't, you don't just go to the big brands. You, you, you know, you go to the place right across the street or, you know, you've been there for 30 years. So those places are closing up in real life. And it kind of feels like we're 10 years away from those programs, not being able to compete in that quote unquote middle class of college football. Yeah, and we're going to see it. We're going to see Texas and Oklahoma very soon here in the Southeastern Conference. That's going to be a lot of fun. And Peter, I know you will be on top of all that. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to thank our audience for joining us here tonight on our Ingles on the Beat show. Uh, don't forget, on Wednesday night, you have Jeff Centel with Centel's Intel, Connor and coverage on Sundays. And every day, it's Brandon Adams, Dog Nation Daily. Thanks for joining us here. We'll see you later this week.